Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, what the heck happened right there, huh? Saturday night, the Jazz lost to Minnesota at home for the second time. They've beaten almost everybody in the league this year. They've swept a bunch of teams. But for whatever reason, 0-2 against the Wizards, 0-2 against the Suns, and 0-2 against the Wolves. You know, you can explain the 0-2 against the Suns, although you don't like it. They're having a really good year. And they got you twice. And the one in Phoenix was in overtime. And the first one was way early when neither team was really playing that well because the Jazz started 4-4 four and four and the Suns started 8-8. Eight and eight. It's harder to rationalize the Wizards away. Uh, they have played very well against elite teams in the league. I think 6-2 and two against the Nets and the Clippers and the Jazz and somebody else. Uh, Bucks, I think. Maybe the Suns, but I think it's the Bucks. Um, or they get up for big games, and they got two wildly talented guys, and blah, blah, blah. And I don't know. I don't really like it, but I don't know how you can do it. The Wolves, nothing. I got nothing for you. Nothing. I can rationalize the Suns easily. It's hard work to rationalize the Wizards, but I can do it. And I can't even begin to rationalize the Timberwolves. How did that happen? I mean, we have the Timberwolves beat writer on. He's saying, yeah, they're terrible defensively. Jazz are just turning the ball over left and right. And I know they didn't have Donovan Mitchell. But they're good enough, and they're deep enough. And the Wolves are bad enough that they should have won that game anyway. I mean, I, I, just, I don't even see how you can, <laughs> how you can if, but, whatever that away. I'm the king of that stuff. I could not possibly begin to do that. Even if I don't believe it, I can at least see the path. I mean, it's kind of like the Wizards. I don't really believe it. But I can see the path. Yeah, it's terrible to happen to the Jazz. But look at all these other teams that happened to. <laughs> the Timberwolves. Oh, man. Jazz have only been held under 100 points four times this season. And the Suns were one of them when they beat them on that uh, New Year's Eve game. But you can rationalize that away. It was like, yeah, oh, it was early in the year. They weren't, you know, they weren't clicking yet. They didn't quite have it. There is no way, even with Donovan Mitchell out, wearing whatever he borrowed from Jordan Clarkson. I don't know. We can get into that later this morning. Um, how, how does that happen? It, it's up on our Facebook page, and you can take a shot at it. You know, how does that happen? Go to DJ and PK. You can hit me up on Twitter, David DJ James. How? How does it happen? I know it's just one regular season game, and crazy things happen in the regular season. But how does that happen? (laughs) The Jazz should be three games up on the Suns and the Clippers right now. But they're not. They're two games up on the Suns and Clippers right now. And of all the playoff scenarios we can't rule out, don't rule this one out, Clippers one seed, Jazz and Suns fighting for the two and three. I don't think it'll happen. The Clippers have had to go 9-1 to get within two games. And the Clippers don't have the tiebreaker against the Jazz, so they have to pass the Jazz in the final dozen games. So if the Clippers cool off even a little and say go 9-3 and three in their last 12, the Jazz would have to go 6-6. Six and six. So I don't think it's going to happen. But we can talk about it now because you can't absolutely rule it out. You know, what if the Clippers go 10-2, and two, the Jazz go 7-5, and five, you know? So it could happen. Big games this week. Huge games. The Clippers are playing the Suns on Wednesday, and the Jazz are playing the Suns on Friday. Both those games are in Arizona. And it's it's actually, tonight's a huge night in the NBA, in the, especially in this Western Conference with these three teams separated by two games. The Jazz are in Minnesota tonight, where obviously they ought to win since they've lost to the Wolves twice at home. They should not get swept by the Wolves. 
The Suns have to play the Knicks. They're at the end of a five-game road trip. They won the first two. They lost the next two. They're going back-to-back after losing to Brooklyn. Now they're still in New York. They don't have to travel. And the game was early in the day, so they got more recovery time. Uh, But the Knicks are hot. The Knicks have the longest winning streak in the NBA. Uh, Nine in a row. Wizards have eight in a row. I mentioned the Wizards too much in this segment. And then the uh, Clippers are playing the Pelicans. And I would think they'd win. I think the Pelicans can win any one game. And I think we've certainly seen they struggle in close games. Uh, But you never know. Zion could go off, and you never know. So, interesting tonight with the top three teams in the West, all separated by two games, and all three of them playing. So, plenty of time for scoreboard watching, without a doubt. All right, DJ PK, there you go. That's the uh, that's the big news in the NBA. I mean, there's other stuff that happened this weekend, and we'll get to it all coming up in an hour and what is trending. Um, Padres and Dodgers played a great series. The uh, And, of course, I think it was great because the Padres won three out of four, and that was a heck of a comeback uh, to win game four in extra innings after, after giving up that six-run inning. So... That was um, that was pretty cool. Um, Steph Curry just keeps going off. Wow, what a performance! What a performance! And uh, you got to give it up to uh, the Clippers who just keep rolling. And it doesn't it doesn't matter what happens. Uh, uh, Paul George gets it done. Maybe he really is ready for his breakout postseason. You know, that's the whole theory behind not picking the Jazz is they haven't suffered enough, and you got to suffer before you break through and enjoy the fruits and all the success and all that. And maybe Paul George has now suffered enough and he's figured it out. Maybe that's what's happening. All right, David Locke coming up. He visited us late on Friday. He didn't know the Minnesota loss was going to happen, but he did have prescient words on how the race was going to go in the next week and what it would mean. So that's with David Locke coming up next. Stay with us, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's time to welcome in David Locke. His weekly interview is brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. David, good morning. Good morning, David James. Good morning, Patrick Kinnahan. How is greatness this morning? About the same as every other morning. (laughs) Well, PK's never this. Well, yeah, he is very regular. I've heard this too many times. Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Gross. You know, when you host a morning show for like 72 years, have you ever thought about how many hours your loyal listeners have spent with you and how like how much they know about you? And ha- I mean, I know, David, you try to make sure they know nothing about you, but even <laughs> under your greatest attempts, they actually know stuff yep, about you they do. because of the amount of hours. Like, it's like I... It's like I think about my podcast. Like I do a 30-minute podcast. If somebody listens four times a week, they're spending two hours with me. Like they're spending like eight hours with you. How many people – let's go with my two hours. How many people do you spend two hours with in a week? My old lady. 
Yeah, family, immediate family. I'm not That's sure my it. wife actually wants two hours a week with me. I think that might be a lot for her, particularly considering the fact I used to travel like 90 days a year, and I've been home for 13 months straight. But that's a side <laughs> note. Um, uh, I think that so the – uh, I'm that joking, up. actually. Um <laughs> What was that, TJ? So funny you bring that up. I've had people like, well, you do radio in the morning, you do TV at night. I mean, how much are you home? And you know, how do you maintain a relationship? Like, my wife doesn't complain when I leave. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I have, I have said this, and I mean this as a compliment to my wife, and it's actually like the message that like, sometimes I'll share with like, people if they're asking me. But like, I think my wife is the person who needs me the least of any person I've ever met in my whole life. <laughs> like, it's probably why we're fine. Like, she, like, hey, if you're around, it's great. I love having you around, but like, I don't need you like I'm totally good on my own I'm pretty like self-sufficient I got two master's degrees like I'm way smarter than you you can like you know uh, and I don't have to be the Disneyland sweeper when you're not home so um, it's all good she refers to herself as the Disneyland sweeper since I'm such a mess maker Wow, that's interesting that you bring up her academic credentials because I think all three of us our spouses have higher academic credentials than we have. Yeah. By the way, yep. you know those people that listen to us all the time? They're not surprised to hear this. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> you said that like it's a revelation. Anyone who's heard the three of us is not surprised that people have better academic accolades than we do. <sighs> David, I want you to look into the future now. When we Actually, talk to you... I want to talk about. I'm derailing the show. Uh, I found something again? this morning in my research, and I want to share it with you. <laughs> All right. Can I do that? Sure, why not? <laughs> so we've talked all year about Mike Conley and Rudy Gobert uh-huh. and how they figured each other out offensively. Yeah. But actually the real story of the season is they figured each other out defensively. Like the defense is seven points per 100 possessions better this year when Gobert and Conley are on the floor together than it was last year. So maybe that's just Mike being healthy. But that's pretty interesting to me because they're playing, well, two things. Mike went from playing 67% of his minutes with Rudy to 93% of his minutes with Rudy this year. So that's a pretty big change. And Mike was actually, we were totally all wrong last year in our analysis. Mike was really bad when he was on the floor with someone other than Rudy, and he was really good when he was on the floor with Rudy. His numbers offensively are almost exactly the same as what they were last year with Rudy. And last year when he was off with Rudy, he shot like 36% and 22% from three. But the real story is that these guys figured something out defensively or the team did. And I don't, it's strange to me because our starting five is the same, right? Boyan didn't just become like some long, lengthy, great defensive three. And Royce is still the same. So it's, it's, I'm curious. I'll ask Quinn tonight in the coaches show actually about this. I, like I'm wondering what happened that they figured what they figured out defensively because that is actually the story of the season as much as anything, and why they've gone from being the 11th ranked defensive team to the number two defensive ranked team. The defense was the, our, our story that we're telling is we added Derek Favors and so our defense has gone from 11th to two. That's actually not true. The defense with Derek Favors on the floor is virtually the exact same as what it was last year with Rudy off the floor. So that what has actually happened is the defense with Rudy has gotten way better than it was a year ago, and it's really with Mike Conley and Rudy. Okay, I just had to share. I'm sorry. To derail your show, take over again. Well, I feel like I need to follow up on that right now. Is it any more complex, or maybe it is, but at least 90% of the deal is, if Rudy's on the floor and you're one of the other four defenders – 
you've got to you've got to be up on your guy and give them no room to shoot a jumper. And if you get beat off the dribble, so what? They're going into Rudy, but don't foul him and put him at the free throw line. And don't give them a, give them an uncontested jumper. And if if you live by those two rules, given who Rudy is and how he plays defensively, aren't you going to be a pretty good, if not great, NBA team? Well, this is why we allow the fewest threes of anyone in the league because of that principle. And then we I think we're about ninth or tenth in the league at shots at the rim. And teams shoot. Are you ready for this note? Fourth. Percentage points lower at the rim when Rudy is there as a defender than mm-hmm. average. Fourteen percent. So yes, there's something. That, Rudy is so great. Like I think we know, but I'm not even sure we totally know. Like we know way more than the rest of the country because we watch him every night. But I'm not, and I'm like you know have my mansion on top of go bear Island and the rest of the population is now emigrating in and I'm going to have to build a wall or something. But like it is even for myself, who's like the biggest Rudy supporter in the world. I actually not sure that I fully get his impact on the game. Like to some extent in just the simplest form, like our narrative last year was Mike Conley struggling and this year it's he's not. Well, he's playing with Rudy for 96-3% of his minutes now. Who who was the guy that wasn't struggling last year that is struggling this year? Boyan. Boyan played 93% of his minutes with Rudy last year and 67% this year. Like the Jets flipped the rotation and let Conley play all of his minutes with Rudy and Boyan's not playing all of his minutes with Rudy anymore. Like it, I don't know if it's that simple, but I'm beginning to wonder if not only is he just the greatest defensive player in the world, but he just makes everyone's offensive life so much better with what he does. And, you know, screen assist is this cute stat, but there's absolutely nothing different than a screen assist than an actual assist, if you think about it. And so we've always talked about point guards, John Stockton, Isaiah Thomas, Chris Paul, and how much better they make everyone. Devin Booker is actually the exact same as he was a year ago, side note. They, we've all talked about that. But the fact of the matter is Rudy's doing the exact same thing as a point guard by freeing people, getting people open, presence, gravity. It's just incredible. Wow, that's awesome, man. This franchise is going to have the leader in career assists and the leader in career screen assists. That, it is worth a banner, <laughs> damn it. That's where I was going. <laughs> you bet. <laughs> I need someone to screen. I need somebody who's good at Photoshop to send me at DLock09 on Twitter a screen, uh, a Photoshop with the new banner, Rudy Gobert, all time screen assist leader, right next to John Stockton and Mark Eaton. Well, I guess maybe get back in ten years and and uh, maybe we'll we'll see that up there. That's all. uh, it's all fascinating stuff, no question. Uh, one of the things that has gotten me mystified is how, at 33 years of age, <clears throat> is Joe Ingles not only elevated elevated his game, but he's elevated like almost like a certainly borderline all-star level. How do I explain that? So I think one is you got to give Joe great credit. I think I listened to him with you, and he talked to either this interview or the last one. Don't tell Joe, but I actually like make sure I hear that show every time. Um, but I think he talked about Renee and her nutrition and stuff and how he's kind of followed in that step. So I do think he just deserves great credit for this body's way better than it was before. And he's worked really hard at that. Um, 
Quinn deserves great credit. Last year during the bubble, I found a stat, and I need to actually go update it, that Joe was the number one shooter in the NBA in like the first six seconds of the shot clock, I think it was. Um, Might have been first eight seconds, but Joe was the best in the NBA over the last three years in the first six seconds of the shot clock. My biggest frustration with Joe last year, particularly in the playoffs and in the bubble, was he was so obsessed with going back to get the ball because he wanted his hand to play pick and roll because he really wants to be a point guard. And you even heard him joking about that whole Mike Conley thing this week when he was on with you about how they joke about how they both can't play well if everyone's healthy, mm-hmm. right? Like that's because they both want their ball in the hands. But the problem for is with Joe doing that is he takes away his greatest strength. And his greatest strength is getting up the floor and getting that early transition three. And that's where he's actually the best player in the entire league. Like he's the best over the last three years at shooting when he shoots in the first six to eight seconds in the shot clock. There's nobody better. And so you're seeing Quinn has opened up this door to the whole team and set, and basically Joe's taking advantage. Quinn had a fascinating comment on the Zoom yet, uh, the other day about how Jordan Clarkson's kind of unabashed gunnerisms or whatever you want to call it of like just has freed everyone else on the team like well if Jordan get away with it then I can get away with it but it's led to this freedom of how they're playing and Joe in particular is who Quinn talked about as seeing like well if Jordan's going to do that I'm going to do it but that's exactly what they wanted out of Joe this whole time is that they wanted Joe to get up floor get that early pass or when he leads the break to do it faster not waiting for Rudy for his pick and roll or phase for his pick and roll but to get up the floor and take that three. And Joe is just tremendous early in the shot clock with his three-point shooting, and that's what's changed his game this year. It's a historic season. It's so much more valuable and important that anyone is taking an understanding of. This is the like last thing for this league to figure out, is that like Kyle Korver five years ago when Atlanta won 60 and no one knew why, was the only player to ever have a better shooting year than Joe. Quite frankly, we're on the pace to win 60, like, equivalently, and no one's quite sure why. Like, well, the reason is because of Joe Ingles. And Joe, Ing- I can make a really strong argument that Joe Ingles is the most positively impactful offensive player with his possessions. I mean, actually, that's just true. I don't even have to make the argument. Of anyone on our, on our roster, so um, including Donovan, including anyone else. So when you suddenly start kind of trying to figure out what this means. It means everything. It's incredible. Then you add in that he's just such an elite-level pick-and-roll player, and that's a little bit of the trick with him is that, you know, hey, you're a great pick-and-roll player, but you're actually even better at this other aspect of the game, so please get down the floor so we can get you the ball. So it was viewed as gimmickry, but was Paul Westhead right 30 years ago when he had Loyola Marymount running up and down the court, gunning, trying to score 150 points? Was he really onto it? Yeah. Um, you know, what's interesting is I actually watched that 30 for 30 yesterday, um, like over again, like I got Roku and like, it just comes up really easily on my Roku and I was like, Oh, I'll watch that again. So I watched that whole 30 for 30 on Paul Weston. I, I guess, I mean, Quinn has talked about it all season long that there is that, you know, everyone talks about good to great. And he's like, you know what? We did the analysis and really, really good is actually pro- at times is better than 
what we were going to get otherwise. So if you got really, really good early, go, go grab it. And if you look at the Jazz from 18 to 24 on the shot clock, so first six seconds, we take seven threes a game. We shoot 41% on those threes. It's the most of anyone in the NBA. And the only team that actually shoots them better than us in that span is Sacramento. Oh, I take it back is New York, but they don't take them. They take two a game, so that doesn't count. Um, is Sacramento at 41.5, and they don't take quite as many. If you take it to the first nine seconds of the shot clock, I believe we're slightly behind Milwaukee, but we still make about 39 to 39.5%, and we're taking – 16 threes a game in the first nine seconds of the shot clock, and that's when Joe's at his best. If everything holds, and this may be a little bit premature, but stay with me here, if that's the way it plays out, as as we expect at this point where we are right now, the stuff that you just mentioned, is that the formula to beat the Lakers in the second round? Yeah, it's the only way to beat the Lakers because their half-court defense is so great. By the way, I just pulled this up. This is incredible. You ready? This is great. I didn't actually know how to find this. I just found it. Joe Ingles has taken 60 threes. Let me make sure this is right. In the first six seconds of the shot clock this year. 60. How many of these made? 60. 33. Nice. His age? How about that? Three of 60 when he takes a three in the first six seconds of the shot clock. I mean, the key is that this team's got to keep running. They've got to keep pushing ahead. This is when they struggle offensively. And then when they play the Clippers and they play the Lakers, who are so long, you know, that that's they've got to be able to play this way. Listen to these numbers. I mean, I, this is where Paul Westhead is exactly right. First six seconds of the shot clock, Royce 41, Conley 41%. Donovan, 38%. Bogdanovich, 39%. Clarkson, 40%. And Joe Ingles, 55%. But 40% is 1.2 points per shot. That's the best. That's better than any. Like, that's the best offense in the NBA. So, if you can get that shot, you got to take it. And even if you take the next three seconds where we've taken a ton, all the guys are good except for Donovan. Joe is taking 62 additional threes from 15 to 18 on the shot clock. He's shooting 42% from 15 to 18. So now we're in early offense, probably, right, got down the floor first six seconds, made an extra pass or two, but we pushed it ahead enough so we're playing with an advantage. Clarkson's 38, Conley's 40, Bogdanovich is 38, Joe's 42, George is 40, Royce is 43. Only Donovan, who's probably walking into a three and not playing in the same manner there, is 33%. Like, that's a bad shot because our offense is, is good, and Donovan can get a better shot throughout the – he's so talented he can get a shot better than that. But, yeah, we these early, first nine seconds of the shot clock threes are 100% how – the Jazz have to win in the NBA playoffs, and 100% how um, that Paul Westhead had something going on there. Now, the lack of defense on the other side by Paul Westhead might not have been exactly right because <laughs> we get those shots off our defense. So when you give me all those, all those stats about scoring early in the shot clock, 
I assume that most of those shots, and as I close my eyes and try to visualize jazz games, that most of those shots are uncontested. And that's really what's driving those numbers up, is that when you run, you're getting uncontested shots, and Donovan's numbers could be lower because he's shooting his off the dribble. And when you're flying up court and you have to stop and get on balance to shoot a three, that's great if you're Steph Curry. It's really hard if you're anybody else on planet Earth. Um, I think Quinn is willing to have those be somewhat contested. I think that's the change that Quinn made for this for this team this year. Is that those shots take them if you're kind of open. I think there was a feeling you had to take you could only take them if you were totally open beforehand. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And so I think his feeling is that, that's Jordan Clarkson. Right. I might and be open, and other guys will hold on to it. And Jordan Clarkson, I might be open. It's going up. And Quinn says, we need more Jordan Clarksons. Right. And that, that Jordan Clarkson has opened up to the rest of the guys to feel a little bit more willing to, to do that. How concerned are you with the Lakers having Drummond? How much of a difference do you think he can make? The more Drummond, the better. Explain. Uh, I think he's so he's a really interesting player. I don't want to just totally criticize him. It would be really fun for talk radio to do that, but probably having some responsibility as a you know play by play announcer in the league. But um, you know he's really interesting because he's got quick hands. He's got pretty deft light feet. Um, he's got a decent little second jump. He's a he's thought of as a good rebounder. I'm not totally convinced that he's a big out of area rebounder. But he's not quick in transition. So to what our point is right here, like if we're changing ends of the floor quickly, I would far rather have him on the floor. Marcus Sewell's not either. That's like one. Of, that's the Lakers' weakness. I think is that they're the number one team in the league in transition defense. To their credit, Frank Vogel is just a great defensive coach. Frank Vogel is not being talked about for Coach of the Year, but what he's done defensively without AD and LeBron, I think, should be put him in that consideration. Um, he is a really, really bad offensive player. In fact, he's one of the most detrimental offensive players in the league. No touch. Um, his three for 12 game against Rudy is not uncommon. So any possession that he uses that is not being used by LeBron, AD, for that matter, Contavious Caldwell Pope, I'm all good with. And I don't think he's a great pick and roll defender either. I could look up the numbers on that. But my instinct is he's not a great pick and roll defender. And so, whereas AD is, and so if you can get them, I mean, they're a great pick and roll defensive team. Again, their defense is just awesome. Um, But I I, I feel like you could take advantage of him in the pick and roll defense. With the Lakers this year, he's only in the 62nd percentile in pick and roll defense, which, you know, is not terrible, but it's, that's a really good defensive team. I think if we went to Cleveland earlier this year and looked at his pick-and-roll defense, maybe that's irrelevant. It's in the 29th percentile. He's a bad pick-and-roll defender. He's David Locke. David, thank you very much. They know everything about you, so worry about it, DJ. Okay, I will. See ya. There's David Locke. When we come back, the best of the Jazz postgame show, What Went Wrong. That's next. 
Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. The Utah Jazz get beat by the Minnesota Timberwolves. At home. Again. How do the Wolves, the 29th best team in the NBA, beat the team with the best record in the NBA? How does number 29 beat number one? Twice. In Utah. Here's the best of the postgame show. They'll try to explain. It's your Jazz recap here on DJ and PK on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Jazz lost at home to the Minnesota Timberwolves on Saturday night, uh, 101-96. It's the second time this year the Jazz have lost to the T-Wolves at home, going all the way back to December 26th. They actually play that very same Timberwolves team tonight in Minneapolis, but the the Jazz lost on Saturday at home. Uh, Bogdanovich led the way with 30 points. Uh, Mike Conley with 18 and 7 assists. Jordan Clarkson had 15 coming in off the bench. Tough night offensively for uh, for the Utah Jazz. They had 40 points in the first quarter and only managed 56 points there on out. Uh, made it a little bit close in the fourth quarter, but could not get the shots they needed to fall. Let's uh, let's get some post game sound going. Let's start things off with Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder. All right, we'll go ahead and get started here. Our first question will come from Kristen Kenny, Jazz TV. Hey, Coach, you had such a great first quarter, a 17-point lead. And what happened? And what did Minnesota do? What problems did they pose for you guys? Well, the the first couple minutes of the game, you know, we turned the ball over and we gave up a couple offensive rebounds. And then, you know, we had a stretch where we were really good in the glass and, you know, we took care of the ball and got good shots. And then, you know, as the game progressed, um, we fell back into that and ended up with, you know, with 20 turnovers and I don't know, I think 20 second chance points, you know, if we're going to give them 40% of their points on the offensive glass and, you know, our, our turnovers, we're going to make it hard on ourselves. And it impacts our, our offense too, because, you know, it's difficult for us to run. Um, you know, and get spaced and they're, they're a long athletic team. So if you're in the half court, you know, they're hard to, hard to play against. They eat up a lot of space and, and make it difficult. All right. Next question, Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. When we saw you call that timeout just a minute or two into the game to kind of address those early issues that you mentioned. And then, as you say, you know, you sink back into them as the game progresses. Is it just an effort thing or, or what is what do those issues come down to on a night like this? Well, I, I think it's focus as much as anything, however you want to categorize that. But, um, you know, th- th- this is not something that that we're unaware of. Um, and it just has to, you know, it has to be important every possession. Um, it can't just be important during certain parts of the game. And that's going to be crucial for us. Um, 
you know, to, to, to win and particularly to win close ball games. If we're giving up, um, you know, we're giving up that many possessions, uh, you make it, you know, virtually impossible. You have to almost be perfect in other aspects of the game. Uh, next question, Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. When it comes to the 20 turnovers, what, I mean, where does that come from and how do you kind of solve that? Is it about simplifying the, you know, kind of making the decisions easier or I, I, I guess kind of explain what, what you'd want to see on that, that part of the ball. Well, some of it's as simple as just, it sounds simplistic, but just like, don't, don't turn it over and whatever you have to do in a given possession to not do that. Um, and it's collective, you know, obviously there's somebody with the ball that's either making a pass, um, but it's everybody spacing for each other. Um, so that you have those angles, you know, when you have players that, that are long, the, you know, passes are more difficult and you just have to be more precise. Um, whether you have to be stronger with the ball, you have to use fakes more, um, you have to be more disciplined, to not to not make those mistakes and you know i thought we got you know i I think four minutes left in the second quarter we had a pretty good sized lead and we just have a tendency to get loose with the ball at times and you know minnesota had you know had a role in that and thought that they you know became really aggressive um they started switching more um, which made it more difficult for us to attack because they kind of built a perimeter um, but that's just when we have to be more determined to uh, to take care of it. And a lot of times for us, it's, you know, if we pass up a shot, um, you know, we pass up an opportunity to, to make a three and we drive into traffic. And at that point, you know, the, the percentages go way, way down, particularly for a team that shoots it as well as we do. Um, and whether that's being prepared to shoot or, you know, the accuracy of a pass hitting someone, you know, in a shooting pocket where they can get the shot. Um, if the pass is errant, you know, oftentimes you won't be able to get a shot, particularly if you've got, you know, six, eight closing out on you with a high hand. So um, it's a little bit of everything, um, but as much as anything, it's just, it's got to continue to be a focus and we've got to continue to make it um, important and more and more important. All right. Last question. Ryan Miller, KSL. Hey, Quinn, I'm just curious. Do you notice a difference when there's only two officials in the game? You know, we've had this happen a couple times. And, you know, to be honest with you, I, I hadn't really focused on the officiating right now until you brought it up because I, you know, it was kind of engrossed in some of the other things we're talking about. But it's certainly harder for them. You know, I don't know, you know, I know some about the mechanics, um, but they have mechanics for a reason and they're trained that way for a reason. So I'm sure it's harder on them. Um, but, you know, I thought they did, you know, an excellent job of really doing the best job that they can. There's Coach Snyder. His team lost 101 to 96 on Saturday night. Let's now uh, hear from some of the players. Let's hear from Rudy Gobert. Um, we'll get started with Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Hey, Rudy. So this is the second time you guys have played the Wolves and they've been pretty aggressive and physical on defense both times. Uh, what's kind of been the consistent issue in these two games that you played against them? I think the two games were very different. You know, tonight uh, 
I thought our defense were, were was good, except when we turned the ball over and uh, you know when we give up offensive rebounds, they only score about 100 points and probably 40 points of you know the 20 turnovers and uh, and the ball. So you know um, we just couldn't you know find a way to score and yeah you know especially the second half they you gotta give them credit i mean they played hard they played with energy and uh, you know they they forced us into a lot of uh, a lot of turnovers you know and i think uh losing one of the officials probably played a big part in that too kristen kenny jazz tv Rudy, is it at all concerning at this point in the season to see such different quarters and different halves I mean, it's, it's basketball, you know. Um, uh, the positive thing is that I felt like we we stayed locked in defensively, and uh, I felt like our defense was, was you know, uh, even down the stretch. I mean, we got the stops we we kind of needed, we just couldn't score, you know. So um, sometimes it's going to be night like this. You know, the the most important thing for us is to um, you know watch the film and uh, you know try to understand what what we can do better. You know, but I, you know, I really felt like the, yeah, it was it was it was a weird game, you know, physical game. The, yeah, they were kind of you know grabbing, holding, and you know, and uh, the game kind of went went that way, and uh, you know, and then and, and, you know, we lost uh, we lost the handle of the game. All right, Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. Rudy, you had five of the 20 turnovers. I'm curious kind of what, when you go back and watch that, when that happens, you know, and see the defense collapse on you, what is it that you kind of want to do differently or better to kind of avoid those things? I mean, I think there's like, a, I mean, obviously the travel, uh, the travel, I didn't watch it. I don't know. It was probably a travel. Um, and then there's like two times when I'm trying to keep the ball high and I can't even pass the ball because someone is grabbing my arm. So it's, uh, you know, I got to, you know, watch like once again, I'm going to watch the film and see uh, what I can do better. You know, I know that there's some plays when I should have, uh, I should have finished much stronger, you know, and I feel like I got fouled. But if I, if I go strong, I think it's easier for the official to, to see the call and, you know, and, uh, and to make the call. So, you know, it's on me and, uh, you know, and uh, the, the stronger I go up, you know, the, the, the more likelihood they're going to, you know, probably uh, blow the whistle. All right. Ryan Miller, KSL, last question. Yeah, Rudy, you, you mentioned this, but kind of how different is a game when it is only two officials um, besides the three? I mean, you can go either way, you know, and uh, tonight he went the, kind of the wrong way. In a way, you know, the... I mean, uh, I'm not an official. I know, I know it's, it's not an easy job. You know, it's probably really hard to, you know, see that many things at the same time when you when you lose one of your teammates. Uh, I just feel like it really, uh, I mean, it really affected us in the wrong way tonight. Uh, not saying that we would have won the game, but uh, especially down the stretch, you know, and uh, especially me personally when... You know, guys are just bumping me, grabbing me. It's, it makes it tough. But once again, it's, you know, it's not an excuse. And, you know, and uh, we, when teams get physical and even if they foul you, uh, it's on me to, it's on us to be able to play through that uh, and, you know, to, to keep our composure and uh, find a way to, you know, keep taking care of the ball. And, and, you know, and we did that at some 
game. We did that. We found some shots. We got to the line, you know, but uh, we just couldn't do it down the stretch. There's Rudy Gobert. Talked a lot about uh, only having two referees. Uh, for the second time this year, Billy Kennedy had to leave a game early uh, when officiating for the Utah Jazz, and uh, the, the referee crew had to finish up the night with two. Uh, the Jazz did not play well. Certainly would not blame that loss on the referees, but it did have an impact on the game. Minnesota played this Jazz team really physically on both sides of the ball, and uh, you know having one fewer ref probably had uh, something to do with that, at least a little bit. All right, let's keep it rolling. Let's now hear from Boyan Bogdanovich. Uh, we'll go ahead and get started. Uh, first up, we'll have Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Hey, Boyan. So you guys had 20 turnovers tonight, uh, 11 offensive rebounds, leading to 20 more second chance points. How do those things happen? Quinn, Quinn said that there was maybe a lack of focus from one possession to the next. Is that something you agree with? I mean, I'm agree. I think that uh, our wings got to do a better job boxing out and and being on a on a help side and and like Queen said, be focused every every single time trying to box out the people instead of going for the for the rebound without any any contact. So yeah, like like you said, it's tough to win half of their points or. From from our turnovers and uh, and their offensive board, so tough loss for us. Next question, Kristen Kenny, Jazz TV. Bogey, when you look at the moments down the stretch, is this really the first night that you've missed Donovan's presence? I mean, no matter if we are winning or losing, we, we miss his his presence. Just just to be there and and, and lead our team. Just by by his presence, he don't have to be there to hit a clutch, clutch shot. But just knowing that that he is there and you got a guy that you can rely on, it's 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 big time for us. So, like I said, no matter if we lose or win, we are really really missing him. All right, and last question is from Juan Baracco out of Uruguay. Boyan, how are you? Uh, do you mind if I ask you a question in Spanish? Yeah, that's fine. Okay. Eh, primero que nada, eh, bueno, el primer, el próximo rival es Minnesota nuevamente en condición de visitante. Eh, personalmente, esta derrota se sintió un poco como un déjà vu de lo que fue la derrota al principio de la temporada también en casa contra los Minnesota Timberwolves. Eh, ¿Qué crees que debe mejorar el equipo? para que no sea una, una tercer, un tercer capítulo en, en, una, en una serie de derrotas contra, contra un equipo que está tan debajo en el, en el oeste. Gracias. Es que año, año pasado hemos perdido contra, contra ellos a casa, a casa también. Entonces hay tres, tres derrotas contra, contra ellos en, en nuestra casa. Año, año pasado hemos ganado ahí. Hay que, hay que jugar mejor. Es que... 20 balones perdidos es 20, 20 tiros más para, para nosotros y como ha dicho antes que, que 20, 20 puntos que ellos tenieron después de, de, de rebote ofensivo es, es mucho, casi, casi mitad de, de, de puntos fue de, de esas dos maneras, entonces hay que, hay que estar más, más concentrado 
por los dos lados y lo que ha dicho, hay 20, 20 balones perdidos en casa es mucho, entonces hay que, hay que tirar dos tiros en, en, en como se dice, instead of instead of giving, giving the ball to them. There's Boyan Bogdanovich led the way for the Jazz on Saturday night with 30 points, 11 of 20 shooting, 7 of 13 from 3. Hit a clutch one in the fourth, but not enough as the Jazz lose to the Timberwolves. Let's uh, wrap up the postgame player sound with Mike Conley. Uh, we'll go ahead and uh, start off with Sarah Todd, Deseret News. Hey, Mike, there was a, a lot of stuff that kind of went wrong for you guys tonight, especially on the offensive glass and with the turnovers. Is, is this one where you'll go back and watch the film or you kind of want to move past this one? No, this is one we need to watch. You know, it's one that um, it's a re reoccurring situation uh, with a lot of teams where they're, you know, trying to crash the glass, trying to get extra possessions, um, trying to turn us over to get easy, easy opportunities and transition because, uh, you know, nobody really wants to get into a half court situation, you know, with Rudy back there and our defense kind of set. So uh, it, it, it's another game where we have to learn from it. We have to learn from our mistakes. We all, you know, had our times in the games where um, we wish we would have made a different decision or, you know, gave a little bit more effort. So um, it'll be a good, good, uh, a good film session for us to look at. Uh, okay, next up, Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Mike, was it kind of a game-long thing, or, or did Minnesota change something? I mean, it's a pretty drastic difference going from 40 in the first quarter to 56 over the next three. Yeah, um, you know, they, they changed a little bit. They started switching a little bit more uh, deeper in the clock, but um, you know, a lot of it, you know, we, things we can, we can change. I think guys got a little fatigued at points and, um, and we just tried to do too much in certain situations. And, uh, we made plays a half second too late, um, as opposed to, you know, being on the money with our passes and, and those situations can lead to turnovers and, and, you know, compounded mistakes. So, um, it, you give them credit for, for the way they, you know, came out with energy and the, you know, just the way they played. Uh, but a lot of it, you know, we can control and, um, I expect us to be better at. Uh, next we have Ryan Miller, KSL. Hey Mike, not really a question about the game, but I wanted to get your take on what you're going to be doing with the Oscars tomorrow. Are you going to be watching? Are you excited? And what was kind of the reaction? I know the team watched the movie together, uh, this late last week. How was that? Uh, yeah, I'll be, I'll definitely be tuned in and watching. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of people are involved in that and, um, it's a great, a great accomplishment to even be nominated. So definitely going to be tuned in, but, um, I thought the team, uh, and the coaching staff and everybody who was involved, you know, really enjoyed, you know, the film and being able to, to get its messaging behind it. And, um, I mean, I just appreciate them taking the time to, to, you know, sit there and watch it. And especially in the time that we're living in right now. And, you know, it had a lot of situations in that, in that short film that are still going on, um, even as of last week. So I'm just, uh, thankful for the guys to sit there and have the conversation, um, you know, ask questions and just keep the dialogue going. Uh, Tony Jones, the athletic. Mike, when a team, uh, when a team extends this ball pressure, uh, the way Minnesota did not only tonight, but you know, that, that the, the first night in December or whatever, how do you guys combat that? And, and, and how can you guys combat that, you know, not only with the ball pressure, but with them switching everything, especially up top and on the perimeter? 
Well, I think when teams are being aggressive with you, you have to be aggressive uh, on the offensive end as well. Like the reason why teams can pressure us like that is we're trying to run a play or we're trying to get into a certain set or, um, you know, instead of doing that, like just we got to blow by guys or we got to, you know, be strong with the ball in those situations and, and play through it and be physical and, and be right, you know, punch right back. So um, I think in those, those periods of time, we just have to have to play with more force, um, force with cutting force with passes, you know, be, be pinpoint. Uh, Cause those are opportunities to, you know, use their aggressiveness against them, whether it's back cuts or um, different kind of situations we can get into. So uh, yeah, you know, I think that teams are going to do that. Teams are going to pressure us, you know, teams have, pretty much thrown everything at us all year and we found ways to get get by but you know there's always a you know a game or two that gives us another lesson uh to be learned all right and last question andy larson salt lake tribune mike how do you guys weigh taking the open shot versus kind of driving and and you know in, into the paint a little bit and probing from there you know kind of how do you make that decision man you know i think it's it's just the, you know, each individual, each individual guy has their, you know, their zones in the game where they, they feel like they're, you know, too deep in the paint where they need to make a play or a guy might feel that, you know, the next, the next best, best shot is a one more pass to the top of key. You know, it's just each guy is different, but we do get in modes where, um, the first shot might be the best shot. You know, we get, we might have to take that and, uh, we had plenty of opportunities with that tonight and, you know, guys, we kind of overpassed it. And, and by the time the ball got, you know, swung back around, they were matched back up uh, to their man. So um, those are situations that you, you know, you, you love to hate in a situation, in, in a sense, but um, you know, we have to be more selfish in some points of the game and, and look to shoot it. Cause we have so many good guys on the outside. There's Mike Conley, 18 points, seven assists. He had four steals as well, but not enough. Jazz lose to the Timberwolves, 101-96 to on Saturday night. Up next, the Jazz take on that same Timberwolves team in Minneapolis tonight. Tip-off coming your way at 6 o'clock. Pre-game coverage begins at 5. There's the best of the post-game show. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. Stay with us.